We're glad you've joined us today on the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe you'll hear a message that will minister to you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Let's listen now to the message. Y'all make welcome Pastor Dwayne as he comes and shares with us this morning. Yeah. Amen. I love you too, buddy. Good job. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you so much. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I apologize to the media. I had them an outline, and it was during worship that I heard the Lord to take them the outline. So if they don't have anything up, it's not their fault. It's mine. How many of you appreciated the conference again? Amen. I do a lot of conferences, and I'm telling you, it was over the top. Man, we want to say thank you to Tim and Terry for serving and being here. Thank you. I'll be meeting with the staff later and probably a lot of the volunteers, but thank you so much. It was very, the hospitality was excellent, just excellent. You just, I don't go many places that I can say with conviction, excellent, very excellent. Father, I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for this light in the middle of nowhere. Father, this is nowhere. Thank thank you that we can get anywhere from here. This is the best place on the planet. Because if we were somewhere, we couldn't get there, but we can get anywhere from here. So, Father, I just thank you for these people that have drove so far, seeking God. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, I thank you for your great love for them. I pray that we be a witness, a positive witness, a good seed be sown, or a harvest on a seed that's been sown come to fruition. What a great day. And thank you for the opportunity to... Bless and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3, I want to I share in this opportunity I have on God's love for you. And, and what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what does the God kind of love look like? And how important is it that you understand how God loves you and the kind of love that God has for you and your family and, and for this church and for these communities that are, that are representative, represented here today. We, we talk about love and even the culture has hijacked the word love and the word love is so perverted in the culture and it is so abused and misused That when I say God loves you, people just draw a blank. Because we use love to describe so many different things. It is thus descriptive of nothing. We talk about love and ice cream. And I'm okay with that. I'm not condemning anybody. I don't love it, but I do like it. But if you love ice cream, I'm cool with that. And we talk about loving football. And we talk about loving our dog. And then we talk about loving our wife. Can I get a witness there's a difference between a love for a dog and a love for your wife? And I'm not talking about loving the dog more. Amen. The Greeks had different words for love and it helped people connect in communication. They, they had a phileo love. It was called phileo love. It was a friendship love. And so when you talked about the love of a friend, you used a specific Greek word and it kept the confusion minimized. Eros was a sexual love between a husband and a wife. And so if you were specifically talking about the beauty of sexuality and sexual love, you would talk about Eros. And on and on it it, it could go. That's a message in and of itself. There was a paternal and a maternal love for your children. See, there's a kind of love you have for your children that's a different kind of love than you have for ice cream. Amen? Amen. And I'm not talking about you love the ice cream more. (laughs) And so when the Greeks were introduced to this word agape, they had to be taught God's kind of love. That when we say God loves you, we're, we're meaning one thing, but most people are hearing another thing. And so I want to I give some descriptives of God's kind of love. I want to share the power of God's kind of love. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, the Bible says circumcision doesn't avail anything now or uncircumcision, but Faith that works by love. Why are we wavering in our faith in this dark hour? Why are so many Christians being shook 
in their faith in this dark hour. They don't know God's love for them. Because faith will work by love. When you see God's incredible, immeasurable, unconditional, unmerited love for you, it causes your faith to soar. No matter what's happening around you, when you know God's love, you can have faith and walk through everything. You cannot even just go through tribulations. You can grow through tribulations when you know God's love for you. That's how important this is. And Paul understood that. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, he's praying for the church at Ephesus. And let me, let me explain something about the prayers in the Bible. They are inspired by God. They transcend culture, time, and age. In other words, what he prayed for the church at Ephesus was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this prayer is as effectual and important today for the church in wherever we are as it was for Ephesus. It's an anointed prayer, and I pray it for myself constantly. I've prayed it for our church. I pray it for churches everywhere I go. I pray it for leaders all the time. And so let's look at what this prayer is. He talks about the family of God and how that God's family is in heaven and in earth. All of us have family in heaven. And I'm not talking about just blood relatives. I'm talking about we are the family of God. We've all suffered loss of a family member that now is in heaven. And we still have family members in the earth. And at the appearing of Jesus and his kingdom, we're having a family reunion. Hallelujah. It's going to be awesome. So then he, he gets into some details in verse 16. That he, that's God, would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Our strength comes from the Lord. It comes from within, from the inner man in this hour. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, understand, apprehend, with all the saints, what is the width, length, depth, and height of what? To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Four or three specific things I want to center in on and build from there. But this prayer is powerful. And when you think about where we are as a people in the earth, how many people do you truly know that are rooted and grounded in God's love. If I ask everybody in here, if I could have got to you individually and asked you, do, does God love you? I guarantee you 90-something percent would say, yeah, God loves me. But are you rooted and grounded in that love? We need to get rooted and ground. Can, can people shake you? Can circumstances shake you? Can the woke movement shake you off of God's love for you? People are being shook. And we already have a promise in the Bible before Jesus appears, what traditionally is called the second coming. The scriptures call it the appearing of Jesus and his kingdom. The Bible promises and says everything that can be shook will be shook and only that which cannot be shook will remain and that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of his love. And so you and I have to get rooted and grounded. You're, most of you aren't here to hear a preacher say, God loves you, but I guarantee you, I'm glad you're here because I'm going to help you get rooted and grounded in it. There's a difference. Then he says, this love has a length to it, a depth to it, a width to it, a height to it. It's got dimensions that very few ever learn the length even of God's love for them, much less the height and the depth and the width. There's so much to God's love for us that we must get rooted and grounded in these, in these last days. And Paul is praying that for the church at Ephesus. And, and we need to be praying that as well today. And so he says, whatever this love is, no matter how long, wide, deep, or high, it passes knowledge. Amen. How can you know something that passes knowledge? I mean, am I the only one that reads the Bible sometimes and my, my, my brain goes, real, 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 real. 
It's like, I know you read the Bible and angels sing and gold dust falls out of heaven. And you just understand it all. It's like, wow, thank you for affirming what I already know, God. No, no I, I read the Bible sometimes and I'm thinking, what? You're asking me to know something that passes knowledge. And here's the kicker. When you know it beyond carnal human reason and knowledge, when you know something beyond your senses and your ability to reason out of your carnal mind, when you know something by revelation knowledge by the Holy Spirit, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Why don't our churches look more like Jesus? Because we don't know God's love. That went over really well. I meant that to be positive, to encourage you to get rooted in this, not, oh, man, what a bummer. <laughs> That's what that felt like. What a bummer. I looked in the mirror today, and I'll be the first to confess, I didn't see the fullness of Christ. Listen, I saw more of Christ in me today than I saw of Christ in me five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But I need to continually be rooted and grounded in God's love for me. I can't come to a place of, of arrogance where I think I know how much God loves me. Because if I'm honest and judge myself so I'm not judged with the world, I see a lot of Jesus in me, but not enough of Jesus in me. What's my problem? According to him, I don't know God's love that passes knowledge. So I'm pursuing this. How do you know something, again, that passes knowledge? It's called revelation knowledge. There's a knowing God loves you that's beyond your circumstances, beyond your senses, and beyond your carnal ability to apprehend. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says there that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. How do I know God's love? By the Holy Spirit, not by my circumstances. How do I know God loves me? Not by the lack of problems in my life, but by the Holy Spirit. It'll hit you. I promise it'll hit you. Because people all the time tell me they don't know God loves them. And I say, why do you feel that way? They'll say, because this happened to me. Because my baby died. Because my wife left me. And while I can't explain most things, I can explain why most wives leave. I'm sorry. You've got to really be sharp to catch that one. There's all kinds of things that happen to us, and people are measuring God's love for them based on their circumstances, based on their lack of pride. Well, I know God loves me. Everything's cool in my life right now. Well, what, what about when things aren't cool in your life? Did God quit loving you? See, we don't know how to measure God's love. We don't know the length of it, the width of it, the depth of it, and the height of it, and we don't know how to measure it. How do I know God loves me? Because every trial, boy, I'm going to say a lot fast here. I'm, all, I'm already off track, and this is important. Every trial you'll go through, if it's a fiery trial, if it is a fiery trial, you will hear in your head, if God loves you, why did that happen to you? If God loves you and has called you to pastor, why did your lead elder leave? If God loves you, why did your baby die? If God loves you, why are you wrestling with cancer? The devil will always in a trial, everybody say a trial, reverse it and put God and his love on trial. In a trial, God's love for you is not on trial. Your love for God is on trial. Amen. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Jesus went to the cross and proved his love for me. His love for me was tested in a bitter cup of suffering that no human being can even comprehend on this planet. And he proved his love for me while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. He passed the test with an A+. Now, I'm the one that's on trial. It's the trying of my faith, not Jesus' faith. Amen. And so, we better get rooted in it. We be better get grounded in it as we see darkness increasing all around us. And so what are the attributes? I love doing series. I, I, I just can't think, you know, we call them one-offs. Uh, like today's a one-off. 
uh, I'm depressed. It's like a one-off. I mean, I need like six hours just to touch the length. Can't even get to the width and the depth and the height. And so I'm, I'm already, my brain's going 100 miles an hour in the sense of what do you need for this moment at this time? God knew you would be here. He knew I would be here. And he knew you need something. That you came and you're going to receive something. So I have to, I have to listen to the Holy Spirit Especially in a one-off in the sense of God wants to touch each and every one of us. And I promise I don't care what age or stage you are in in life. God wants to show you something about his love today. So when I start talking about the attributes of love, just as I said it, my brain went 100 miles an hour. I need six more hours, eight more hours. Uh, The attributes of love. I'm going to give you four major attributes of God's kind of love and all the other character traits of God's love will fall under these these attributes now I don't know if they were able to get that into the into the uh, notes but what's an attribute an attribute is a quality character or characteristic ascribed to someone or something it's a it's a character or characteristic ascribed to someone or something. A, a, a perfect illustration is a, is, a, is a ball. A ball has attributes. And if those attributes are not part of the ball, then it ain't a ball. You can call it a ball, but if it doesn't have certain attributes, it's not a ball. And one of the major attributes of a ball is round. If it's not round, it's not a ball. You can call it a ball. You can believe it identifies as a ball. You can do anything you want, jump through all the hoops you want. But if it isn't round, it's not a ball. You can't call a square a ball. And we're just masters at butchering the English language. I'm I'm one of the best at it. I mean, if Sue came to me and said, honey, you, you need to get in shape. How many of you know round is a shape? Round is an attribute of a shape. A ball has to be round or it's not a ball. Now, it can be a small circle, round. It can be a golf ball. It's round. A basketball. Even a football isn't, isn't circular like we think, but it's round. So, go to 1 John chapter 4 and let's look at things that God has hidden for us in Scripture that are attributes of his kind of love so you won't be confused when the world talks about love. Because God's love is taught by revelation. That's why what we're doing, assembling together, is so important because we're we're setting the, the table and atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move, to speak, to illuminate, to quicken your conscience, quicken and expand your heart. All these things for, for room for revelation, personal revelation of God that, that you'll get rooted to a different, hopefully greater measure. And faith will begin to just be a byproduct of knowing, knowing God's love for you. And so it's important that we understand these, these attributes because love is taught, not caught. Love is taught... Not caught. I mean, I'd heard all my life. People falling in love and falling out. Like a virus. I'm in love. I fell out of love. You're just standing over by the demators. And, and a blonde Cambodia refugee lookalike walks by in jeans. And you hear a song in your head. Don't go there. Lord have mercy, baby's got her blue jeans on. That wasn't that bad. And, and you, fell, you fell out of love. And you fell in love. How many of you know you fell into a trap? 
How many of you know you fell into a piece of stupid? If you follow through. And yet, I guarantee you, even in a good church like this, there are people that still have a concept of love like a virus. It just comes, it just goes. It's bigger than the both of us. I can't help it. No, you have no idea God's kind of love. You don't know the difference between love and lust. Don't know the difference between the spirit and the flesh. And Satan destroys us through these things. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says to that church at Thessalonica, he says, concerning brotherly love, you really don't need me to write you because you're taught of God to love one another. We have to be taught of God to love one another. Amen. A good church that's loving each other and that loves a visitor has been taught of God to love. Amen. In Titus chapter 2, very offensive in our culture, but church culture talking about the domestic support of wives and families. And, and it deals with the older women teaching the younger women. Now listen to this. This is, this is when I first saw this. I mean, it's like, what? It says that the older women need to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. You have to be taught to love your spouse. You have to be taught to love your... Oh, everybody just loves their kids. Are you kidding me? We're killing them in the womb by the millions. And if they survive the womb, we're going to groom them for perversion and sexual perversion in our schools. Now, we don't love kids. We don't know how to love kids. You have to be taught by God to love kids. Now, don't be offended at the older women part. I didn't call your name. And, and I don't know what older women means. I, I, you can't, when you touch old, that's dangerous territory. Like, yeah. as a male, you just don't go there. You know, all I know about old is when you reach down to pull the wrinkles out of your socks, you discover you don't have any on. Oh. That's old. That's old. I better let that go. First John chapter 4, nestled within these three or four verses is the attributes of God's kind of love. It's, it's like it's hidden, not from us, but for us as Christians. Yeah. See, the world is blind. Yeah. You and I were in it. Why am I so bold about saying the world is blind? Because I used to be in it. And I was blind. The world's under demonic influence. That's just mean-spirited. No, I used to be under demonic influence. And they don't even know it. They're blinded. That's why it's so hard to get certain people saved. They've hardened their heart. Demons blind their They can't see God's love for them. They can't hear to have faith. And, and it's real. And so nestled in these verses are four attributes of God's love that match the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height of God's kind of love for us. And when you get, get those four established... Everything else starts to make sense about God's love for your children, God's love for us and our spouses, God's love for each other. I'm going to show you why we don't love each other any better than we're loving each other. The best evangelistic tool that is yet to be used on the earth, by this shall all men know my, you are my disciples. When they see our love for one another, they'll know God the Father sent Jesus. The best witness tool we have is loving each other. Amen or oh me. I'm going to get there. A couple of you are going to get there in the name of Jesus. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Number one. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Number two. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love, number three. In this, the love of God was manifested. You can see it. In this, in what? In that circumstance, in that, in that feeling you have, in that uh, group you belong to. No, in this was manifested. You can see it, manifested the love of God. What was it? That he sent his only begotten son into the world that, he might, that we might live through him. In this, in what? God sending Jesus. 
hanging him on the cross for your sins. And this is love. Not that the world loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The reason we're not loving one another any better is we don't know how much God loves us. And I'm going to show you how that works here in his attributes of his love. Notice it said that, that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. Everybody draws a blank when I go propitiation. Nobody knows what that means. Propitia propitiation. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for being my propitiation. <laughs> it means satisfaction. The Rolling Stones sang a song years ago, I can't get no propitiation. Google it, Google it, young people. What are the four attributes of God's love? Number one, going back to verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Love is of God. Love is not of this world. When the world starts talking about love, you need to flee and you need to hide your kids. Wow. Love is not of the world. Love is of God. So when the world talks about love, they're lying. They're deceived. They're confused. Did that soften it a little bit? Love is not of this world. Love is not of my circumstances. Listen, love is not of me. Love is not of us. It's of God. Love is not of my flesh. This is why I have to know God's love for me before I can love others with God's kind of love. Because love is not of me. It's of God. I can't love with God's kind of love till I receive God's love. Because I can't give what I don't have. Amen. Love is of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. What manner? Beloved or behold. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not. It's God's love in us that confuses the world. Because they know not love. We need to quit getting intimidated or embarrassed or apologetic to a world that cannot know love because love is of God. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, is love, joy, and peace. It's a fruit. Love in my life is a fruit. It's a byproduct of my love for Jesus and his love for me. It's not of me. This is confusing for too many Christians. And it's so simple once you understand it. Like the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, you abide in me, I abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. How many of you know that, that we're not Jesus even though we're united to Jesus? We're the branch. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Abide in me, I in you, you'll bear much fruit. I can pretty well persuade all of you you're not Jesus, but you're a branch. Are we okay so far? Theologically. You're not Jesus. You're united to Jesus. Your spirit's one with Jesus, but you're not Jesus. You're a branch. All right. I got that straight. Well, why do you think you're the fruit? I'm not kind in and of myself. If I walk away from Jesus, I'm capable of as much unkindness as anybody in the planet. But I'm just filled with kindness. That may sound arrogant, but I love the fruit Jesus has done in my life. I'm kind. But I am not kind, independent of him. It's him in me, the hope of all glory. It's fruit. I'm not the fruit. Some of you, let it go, Dwayne. You act a little fruity at times. If you'd have just said thank you, let it go, I would have let it go. But some of you are fruit cakes. You need to understand... 
You are not the fruit. I am not kind. I am not gentle. I am not good, independent of God. The goodness in me is God in me, the hope of glory. I can't love you with God's kind of love, independent of my relationship with the Lord and receiving His love for me. I could spend forever. I need to hurry. How many Christians have you met that said, I can't forgive them for what they did? I don't get condemned. Pay attention. I, I can't forgive them. I just can't. And then they'll try to justify it when I say, oh, yes, you can. And, oh, yes, you better. And they'll say, well, you don't understand what they did. And on and on they'll go, justifying their unforgiveness and inability to, to forgive. I love you. But if you can't forgive somebody, it's only because you haven't seen God's love for you and how forgiven you are. Once you see how forgiven you are, it's easy to forgive anybody of anything. Why are so many Christians lacking in mercy? They've not seen God's mercy for them. They've not seen God's love. It's like, wow, look at this mercy for me. Oh, who am I to hold that against you now? Still wrong. I don't mind telling you it's wrong. But I love you and God loves you. And I'm merciful to you because God has been merciful to me. You can't give what you don't have. And so you have to receive God's love for you. Love is of God. It is not of the NBA. It's not of the National Football League. It's not of the 6 o'clock news. It's not of your college professors. Love is of God. Number two. Number two. To love, we must be born of God, he said. To love, you have to be born of God and know God. Then he says, he that doesn't love doesn't know God. Now this has helped me, and this will help you with each other, loving each other with God's kind of love. I've often said, I know you've never said this, but I've often said in church, I've often been on the platform and thought, how can people be born again and act this way? How can they be born again and treat one another that way? How can they claim to be a Christian and act like that? How can they claim to be a Christian and post that? How can they claim to be a Christian and treat me this way? You've never said those things. <laughs> now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little game. And I'm not trying to entrap you. But this will help you. And it's so simple. It's like if I was to ask you, which, which hand is the peanut in? You could get it right. Now, my grandkids are still struggling. But if I ask you which hand is the peanut in, you should get it right. So watch this. John says, he that loves, they that love one another are born of God and know God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. To love... You must be born again, born of God, an incorruptible seed, and know God, have a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And when we don't love each other, it's not because we're not born of God, it's because we don't know God. Amen. It'll change your life how you treat one another. You'll always have babies among you. You'll always have the immature among you. You'll always be having people get born again if you're a functional church. And so you'll always have people that don't know how to love each other and don't know how to treat one another. It isn't that they're not saved. It's that they don't know God. They don't have an intimate relationship with the Lord. They're not receiving love, so they can't give it. Hallelujah. Number four, or number three. Number three. Well, I'm doing actually good. We're in 1 John chapter 4. Just scroll down. <laughs> we should say, turn in your Bible. Just scroll down. <laughs> I'm in the synagogue looking at the scrolls. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever said that publicly. <laughs> Go ahead and scroll down to the verse 16. I tried to get the young people back engaged. Verse 16 says, And we, this is John, an apostle, a mature believer, a disciple. And we, meaning the other apostles, and we have known 
and believed the love that God has for us. As you come to know God's kind of love, it takes faith to believe he loves you that much. It takes faith to believe this could be true. It's so good. It's so wonderful. We have known and believed. I believe God loves me. I've opened the channel now to love you with his kind of love. We've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. When people on the, on the news talk about love and they're abiding in everything but God, they don't know what they're talking about. Don't allow your kids to get confused by the voices that are in the world. Love is of God. So if somebody says this is love and it's an abomination and God has condemned it, it can't be love. In, in, In 1 Corinthians 13, you've got 16 character traits of God's love. It's defined. I mean, it's just love is it suffers long. Patience and is kind. And it just itemizes 16 things that you have to teach your young people. Or they won't know what love is. They'll be confused. And in verse 6 it says, love never rejoices in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. So when people are parading iniquity, calling it love... The Bible specifically says, love does not rejoice in iniquity. Don't let your kids be deceived. Boy, this is powerful. It really is. It's not great, like thank you for the encouragement, but it is powerful. Because I had to teach my kids, and the girls were different than the boys. The, The boys, how many of us parents bless our hearts? Our kids will come to us and say, how do I know when I'm in love? (coughs) Uh, You'll just know. (laughs) Then two weeks later, they come back and say, Dad, I'm in love. And you go, what? Who is it? Well, it's, it's, it's Mary Beth. I'm in love. No, you're not. And the poor kid goes... Two weeks ago, you told me I would know. Now I come back and tell you I know. Now you're telling me I don't know and that you know. But when I asked you, you didn't know enough to tell me how to know. Did you get all that? I mean, with your boys, it's different than with your girls. I mean, your boys, it's like you're in love. No, you're not. She's been drinking milk and it's done her body good. But I mean, you know, the curves and rails are going to fall off. And I better let that go. I don't want to. I could help you if you'd let me. But And boy, the girls. You're going to. I'm going to let all of it go. You have to. I've already paid my dues. And it, it was expensive. Hours with the girls. No. That's not what you're looking for. You're going to have to sleep with this guy and live with this guy forever. He's a jerk. This is not working. Let me get back to the scriptures. Love and the attributes of love, God has spelled it out for us so that we can process it and generationally communicate it. And so the third one is, real quick now, The third one is, God is love. God is it. He doesn't have it. He has wrath. He is love. See, if you have something, you can measure it. You can put boundaries around it. You can have more for this person and less for that person. See, if I have water, if I have water then I can have a pint of water for Pastor Ashley. I can have a gallon of water for Tim, Pastor Tim. But boy, when I get to Sue, I got a swimming pool, hallelujah, of water. It can be measured. You can have less, you can have more. 
This is how we perceive God's love in the church. We think God loves that person more than this person and that person less than that person. Because we think God has love. Nobody has come along. Nobody in my whole life came along and said, Dwayne, God is love. He doesn't have water. He is H2O. He is it. And what he is to Pastor Ashley, he is to Pastor Tim. And he is to Sue. And he is to me. Go to John 17. This is where, where John taught me this first before I saw these these different dimensions of his love. John 17, real quick, uh, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. I'm not just praying for the disciples. I'm not just praying for the people in my immediate orbit. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Everyone who's saved today, you're saved because you believed in John's word. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. You have believed through their word. So he's praying for you. He's praying for me. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Our unity of love. In the bond of love is the greatest witness that can happen when someone walks through the doors. And the glory which you've given me, I've given them. And that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I'd have given anything. I'd have been on the front row. No, no offense to anybody back, 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 further back. I'd have been on the front row, and I would have had a runaway if someone I respected was on the stage and said, God's love for me is the same exact love he has for Jesus. That he doesn't love Jesus more than me. Because, see, when you say God loves me, and then you talk about God's love for Jesus, my dumb head engages with, of course, the Father loves Jesus. The dude never had a bad thought. Never said a bad word. Never done a bad deed. He fulfilled in perfection the word. Of course God the Father loves Jesus. But now when you go from Jesus to me, wait a minute, I've had some bad thoughts. I know you've never had any of those either. I've, I've said some things I shouldn't have said. I've done some things I shouldn't have done. There's no way God can love me with the same exact love he has for Jesus. That's how little we know God is love. If God had love for Jesus and God had love for me, it could be measured and the measurement would be different. But if he is H2O to Jesus, he's H2O to me. I had a meeting challenged one time because I talked about God loving us with the same exact love that he has for Jesus. And some elders of that particular church pinned me down and they weren't happy and I had to explain it to elders that if, if God loved Jesus more than you, why did he hang him on the cross for all your sins? Amen. My experiential understanding of this was with the birth of my first child. Men, young men, young boys, please don't get offended. Uh, but you're not worth a plug nickel till you get married. You're just not worth a lot. Um, even a perfect man, Adam, in a perfect world, a perfect garden, in a perfect relationship with God. God says, man, you're the only thing that ain't good. Everything I did was good, very good, but this ain't good. You need a woman. That was really good. I'll take that clap. Go ahead. And so, I wasn't worth a lot. I didn't realize how immature I was in my early 20s. Uh, and marriage really shook, shook my world in an po unbelievable positive way. It, it was transformative for me as an individual and in my personhood of, of this kind of love and and. And this kind of person and relationship and covenant. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Satan hates it. Because it's so beautiful. But the second major event 
in my manhood, in my maturity process, was my first child. And when Jeremy was born, I got a revelation, finally, inside, experientially, of unconditional love. There was, there was, there was some love unconditional for Sue, but, but there was conditional things. It was things I felt I needed etc etc all my relationships were conditional to a measure I mean you're not going to have me back if I cuss on the stage and I fall off of it and I lose my thought and I go over time (laughs) it's conditional we say we love unconditionally but we really relate in a horizontal world we relate conditionally you can't you can't treat me bad constantly and I'm I'm going to go spend personal time with you I I love you with God's kind of love but I'm not going to like you I love a lot of people I don't like I don't have time to explain that but when Jeremy was born there was something In a revelation of God's love. That he has absolutely nothing to offer me. And I'll give my life for him. I'll give my life for him. And he can't take out the trash. Now don't misunderstand me when they grow up. That's why we have kids. (laughs) All he can do is cry. Poo, bellyache, so self-centered, so self-centered. It's two. Hey, it's two o'clock in the morning, and he's fussing, wanting food. Selfish, and yet you love him. Now, here's something that. I've discovered just recently, actually, I didn't think any other men experienced this. And and the real men in here won't admit it. But the birth of my second child, I was nervous over. I, I was bothered. I was troubled. And I had experienced such a love for Jeremy that this is what it's really like. The, the same... Uh, This unconditional love is how I can comprehend finally. God does love me with the same love as Jesus. Because it's based on his character, not my conduct. My love for Jeremy had nothing to do with Jeremy. It had everything to do with my character. There is nothing I can do to get God to love me more. There's nothing good I can do to get God to love me more. Listen, and there's nothing bad I can do to get him to love me less. So I get this, but it was so precious to me, now I got another baby coming. And I was pastoring in the Methodist church, and this leader, spiritual leader, one of the few in that church, her name was Angie, a very godly woman, and and I just don't lie well. I'm not saying I never lie, I just don't lie well. And (laughs) And so she could tell something was bothering me. And, and she said, what, what's going on? I said, ah, oh, nothing. She said, no, something's going on. And I thought, I can't lie, but I'm embarrassed to tell her, especially a woman. And so I said, well, I said, I'm, I'm nervous about this second child. Um, I love Jeremy, and God showed me so much. You know, how do you, what, how am I going to feel toward the next one? Is there going to be love this high for this one? Love this. And she looked at me and smiled and she said, God is going to give you the greatest revelation of your life. You're going to, he's going to speak to you the minute you see that baby. And I mean, she, I don't know how she did it. She just absolutely gave me hope and it was like, yeah, what's going to happen? So I'm waiting for something to happen. And sure enough, I couldn't believe it experientially. It's the same exact love that I have for this one. Now I understand how God could love me with the same exact love he has for Jesus. We've been adopted into his family, and we're the sons and daughters of God now. Hallelujah. Yeah, give him praise. Yeah. God doesn't have love for you. He is love. 
He is H2O to every one of us. And you need to get rooted in that. You need to get grounded in that because you're going to do something wrong. I'm not prophesying. I'm not being negative. I'm saying we're human beings. We're still trying to perfect the human experience. We're all having this human experience and perfecting it as we yield to the Spirit of God and to Jesus. And you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to feel condemned. You're going to feel like God doesn't love you. Others are going to affirm your worst suspicion. I mean, I'm raising my kids, and I won't name who, but a, a, a family member looks at Jeremy and says, you better quit that or God won't love you. And I'm going, whoa, 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 I, 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 I don't want to hurt your feelings. I love you as a part of my family, but, but please don't say that to my son because God loves us when we're good, and God still loves us when we're bad, or none of us would be experiencing the love of God. And so I had to teach my children early that love and God's love for you literally has nothing to do with even heaven or hell. I've had people, I've preached this before, and people come up to me, this is great. Since God loves us with the same love of Jesus, and we can't do anything good to get him to love us more, anything bad to get him to love us less, are, are we all going to heaven? And, and then I have to look at him and say, heaven or hell is not based on God's love for you. Heaven or hell is based on your love for God. Hell is full of people. That God loved. Hell is full of people that Jesus died for. But see one of the things about love. That this generation doesn't understand. Is there has to be a choice. You can't make somebody love you. God can't make everybody love him. God loves everybody. And you can't make him not love you. But he won't make you love him back. You have to believe. Know and believe the love God has for you. And he that believeth shall be Saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That leads me to number four of the attributes of God's love. He said that in this was manifest the love of God for us. He sent his only begotten son and God loved you first. God didn't love you because you loved him first. That's horizontal. That's the world. You love me, I'll love you. Jesus even addressed all of this. He said, what thanks do you get? If you just love people that love you, sinners love each other. Amen. This kind of love, because it's based on character and nature and who God is, is how I can love people that hate me. Because it's not a feeling. It's an attribute of who God is in my life. The cross is how you know God loves you. And there's been just a couple of times in my life, my adult life, that I've been through something and, and was trying to measure God's love by my circumstances. But I've had two things. I'm going to quit with this. And it, it's still not even noon, so I'm, I'm all right. There's a bell that goes off in most churches at noon. And, and we've got to beat the Baptist to, the, to Applebee's. Um, two times I have faced the appearing impossible circumstances and you don't know what you're going to do till you're there I love you but some of you, you you'll judge people and you'll say well if that was me I wouldn't do that no you'd probably do worse we, we think we know what we're going to do in a situation and we think too highly of ourselves. We, yeah. We, yeah. we judge others negatively in pride and us positively in pride. Yeah. And, and you just don't know. You, you hope you will act like this when that happens or feel like this when that happens. But you don't know till it happens. And when my grandson was born dead, he died in the womb in, in childbirth. And we'd had so many kids and, and been there. And Sue was taking care of the other grandkids. So my daughter-in-law could have this baby. I had some things at, at the house I was doing. And I had to get it done. She's going to be fine. And I'm going to visit the hospital here. The baby's here and cleaned up. They look better after they clean them up. And so she goes into complications. Her placenta bust breaks. 
she begins to bleed internally and her life was truly at risk. And Urias died in the womb at least 10 minutes in the womb. We don't know how long, but he was dead. He died. Lack of oxygen in the womb. So I get the call. Well, I'm headed for the hospital. I'm rebuking everything moving in the name of Jesus. And so he's 20 minutes outside of the womb dead. So we're looking at 30 minutes without oxygen, and he's dead. Well, we see him raised from the dead, which, man, that's all exciting. But now he's been without oxygen for 30 minutes, and nothing's working. There's brain activity. He's alive, but his, all of his organs have suffered. So they air flight him to a neo... A, a, a neonatal unit. That's what I said. I don't know what you heard. <laughs> it was in there rolling around. And so, I mean, they're telling us, you know, he'll never be able to eat. He'll never be able to walk. He won't be able to talk. He's lost all of his functions. Let me just cut it. Let me just cut it short. In 21, it took 21 days. Somebody said, well, why did it take 21 days? I don't know and I don't care. I don't have all the answers. I know you do. But we walked out of that hospital in 21 days with a totally healed boy. And he is totally functional. Totally normal. Now, here's the deal. I can't speak for everybody involved praying. But I never doubted for a minute God's will. I never doubted his love. It caused my faith and specifically my son's faith being taught this. How to stand. When the doctors are telling you, because you respect the doctors, it's their world. But in their world, it's not possible for him to come back. But how many of you know we live according to another world? We can bring that world and pray that way. That things would be done on earth, our world of impossibilities, as it is in heaven, an endless supply of possibilities. Now, when I had my heart attack and died, I don't have time to get into any of that. But the joy I felt when I was in my body of God's presence with me. And absolutely no fear. No fear. And never questioned his love for me. And we're, we're talking five bypasses. We're talking about I had a disease I didn't even knew, knew I had. That my, my veins were inferior. My grandmother died of it. My mother died of it. I knew I had some heart issues, but I was standing, believing God. They take an x-ray of my heart, and you can't see about three of my arteries, main arteries. You can't even see them on an x-ray. They're like a hair. The ones you could see, it looked like a hair. My veins were so tiny in my heart that a 20% clog for you was a 90% clog for me. So I died. I wound up dying. I was in my body, out of my body, with Jesus, out of my body. But with Jesus in my body. And not one time did I doubt his love for me. Not one moment. I really believed. For me to die is gain. There's no sting in death for us. I got an entire tape, a, a teaching on the sting of death. How that I kept dying. I kept coming in my body, out of my body. There's no sting. Dying is the simplest thing I've ever done. That part was fun. Living's what's hard. Amen. How did I know God loved me? Not because I didn't have inferior veins. Not because I'm not having a heart attack. I'll never have a heart attack. I, I have faith in God. None of those things that people talk about, think about. None of that came into my head. God loves me. He is love to me. Yeah, but did you have some thoughts about maybe what you did, maybe for this to happen? You know how people, how did this happen to me? And they're trying to figure out what they did wrong even. Because it doesn't matter. God loves me. And if I die, I'm excited. If I stay, it's for you. Paul said that. He said, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. And he had to choose. And he said, I'm just going to stay here because y'all need some more teaching. I came back just for you. <laughs> that didn't work either, but I believe it. 
I want you to bow your head. Father, if there's anyone here that hadn't made a commitment to Christ, you've committed unto them unto death. You committed unto death. You sent Jesus to die for us when we were sinners. You loved us when we didn't love you. You're committed. Today, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray for the courage to accept eternal life. The courage to love you back. You love them. Will they love you back today? Will they believe that you died on that cross, Jesus, for all their sins, that they might have eternal life? Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.